Good morning, Merry Christmas. So glad you guys decided to join us this morning. Uh, we only get to do this like once every six, seven years, so so much fun. Glad you came. Uh, as we open uh, our Sunday morning and uh, look at our text, we're going to be walking through uh, what John kind of alluded to, the Christ candle. And so Christ came uh, in the form of a human. What does that mean for us? And uh, so we're going to highlight some things and celebrate uh, what we see in the text, and hopefully this will help set your mind right for the rest of the day, uh, but also the rest of the week. And hopefully one of the things you're seeing is the way we did Advent is uh, every once in a while it's good, whether you're a new Christian or a Christian who's been in the faith a while, to intentionally go through all the things you see about Jesus, because we forget. We forget really easy, don't we? Like you probably already forgot what Christmas presents you got, right? There's a few you forgot, but... Here we go. We're going to look at three, three reasons Jesus came. And so the first one we're going to look at is peace with God, which we, we talked about a little bit last night. But I want you to look here at verse 11. Uh, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I think we, we gloss over the word salvation, and it's like, yeah, I'm saved. And that's, you know, that's good, or maybe that's even somewhat exciting. Um, but if you don't know what you're saved from and what you're saved to, and the distance between the two, sometimes you're not really celebrating. And so I think it's, it's important uh, to understand the primary thing you're saved from, right, in salvation, is the wrath of God. And you're like, what a great way to open up Christmas. I know. Um, but it's really hard to celebrate Christ if you don't understand why you're celebrating. I mean, it's not just that God came from heaven and became man and dwelt among us. That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, but it's the purpose and the, and the execution and what it caused. It caused us to have the ability to be saved from the wrath of God. And I just want to take a couple passages, and I just want you to just kind of really hit, and I don't want to dwell on it, but I want it to be present in your mind. That's where it has to start. When you think, Jesus came, it's, I don't have to go to hell. That's a big deal. Do you see that? I mean, you really do. Uh, so we're going to look John 3.36 and Romans. I'll unpack a little bit more, but I just want you to, to feel the weight of it. It says, whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. That's what you're saved to, right? But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's a really big deal. It says the wrath of God is forever remaining on the sons of disobedience. And, and if you've believed... As Christ is that payment, the Son of God, you're saved from that wrath, and that wrath will never touch you. Jesus bears that wrath for us on the cross. Um, let me put it maybe another way. You guys have never done this, but I've gotten a speeding ticket before, so just live through me for a second, right? And the officer is so kind and gracious, he says, I'm going to knock five miles off that for you, right? And it ends up saving you like $30, and you're like, yes, okay? I think sometimes you think Jesus came and he knocked $5 off your ticket. Therefore, the celebration isn't very grand, is it? And when you, when you look at that passage, you have to see you're saved from eternal hell, punishment, and wrath. You get perfection, no sin, perfect health, no guilt, no shame, no pain, no cancer, no COVID, no presidents, no governors, no military, no bad weather, no whining kids, no ungrateful people. Whatever is not there, it's perfect. And the gap is, is so far 
The greater the gap, the greater the celebration. You see, the closer we make the consequence to the reward, there's not really much reason to celebrate. And so Christmas, when Jesus comes, if you just think he's giving you a $5 coupon into heaven, well, you're not going to be very excited, are you? This is why it's important when we teach the doctrine of hell that, I mean, what is it if Jesus just, you just die? Well, what did he save you from? He didn't save you from anything. You just don't get to go to heaven. That doesn't have wrath. You see what I'm saying? I mean, why are you celebrating? You're not being saved from anything. You just don't get the benefit of something. The scripture is very clear. Salvation, saved from and saved to. Saved from hell, saved to Christ, heaven, perfection. And so that's very important. You know, and I know we have kids in here, and we're not um, brainwashing the kids. We're helping them. This is why you celebrate. This is better than the remote control car or the scooter or the iPad you got. This is eternal life. This is being saved from the wrath of God. Okay, so this is, it's huge. That's primary. That's why it starts with salvation. You're saved. Huge deal. If you understand the greatness of it, when we're excited as Christians, it's not fake. It's not platitudes. It's not pleasantries. It's, I could have went to hell. I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful. That has a true, genuine response, doesn't it? But try selling somebody on a $5 off coupon into heaven. Comes off a little fake, doesn't it? Absolutely, because then you're selling them on, I'm so good, I earned it. I did God a favor. Right? I went to church on Christmas. Like, look at me, you know what I mean? So that, that's why that, that fakeness is there. But when you see the cosmic gap, it's like, well, that's genuine. There's no way I could do it. There's no way I deserve it. Next passage, Romans 1.18 it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Was it saying the wrath of God is so present and it is so real that people suppress the truth to try to ignore there's a consequence for their sin. And that's what we see in our world, don't we? That's not bad. Quit calling that bad. Well, why don't they want it to be bad? Because they don't want guilt. And, and, and they can't satisfy the guilt because nothing they do makes the guilt go away. See, as a Christian, you can fully bring the truth. Jesus is the only way to God. This is what it means to be married. This is what it means to be a parent. This is how we're supposed to talk. We're not supposed to be, all these things, you can lay it up and say, I can't uphold that, but Christ did. And because of him, I try to uphold everything he asks. You don't have to lie. You don't have to change the Bible. You can be very honest. This is what the Bible teaches and if it wasn't for Jesus, I would never make it. This is why there's celebration in the New Testament. Because what in the Old Testament we see, we see these 613 or 642, depending which rabbi you guys follow. And they have all these laws and they're trying to keep them all and keep them all and keep them all. And they're like, we can't, we can't, we can't. And then Jesus comes, he's like, I'll do it for you. There's a celebration. Someone can do what we can't and it's going to save us from the wrath of God. So if you don't put yourself in that setting, Christmas can very easily be glossed over. Uh, you know, we, we try to put it in the context of a birthday party, but it, it's bigger than that. It's you're saved from the wrath of God party. That'd be a cool party to throw, wouldn't it be, right? We should try it sometime. But anyways, working your way through, and it says now, I want you to see how it transitions. 
He's, he's telling them in verse 12, okay, so this is what's happened to you. You need to train. You need to renounce. Uh, you need to be self-controlled. But it says, in the present age, in the present age. What am I getting at? It's saying, currently, you need to act this way. Well, what is he saying? You need to act saved, grateful. Act grateful. See, one of the disservices we do as Christians is that we just walk around angry, mad, in fear, full of anxiety. It's not that you're not allowed to have those emotions. It's but that those emotions need to hang within the framework of what Christ did. And, and maybe you're not able to be at a place of celebration, but at least at a minimum, minimum, gratefulness, true? And, and, and also this expectation, that's where it gets down here in verse 13, waiting for the blessed hope. There's an expectation, at least, it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. So whether it's through the expectation that you're awaiting, or it's through remembering what you're saved from, the Christian in the present age should always, always be grateful. Another emotion maybe that kind of we allow to run too rampant is that we are very envious, I think, of non-Christians. Never be jealous of somebody who's going to hell. Okay? I'm not trying to be harsh, but that, there needs to be a celebration within the Christian, and it just lacks sometimes. So sometimes you got to frame it properly so that as a Christian, you go, thank you, Jesus. And you could say that when you're in a hospital bed, and you can say that when you lose your job, and you can say that when your kids don't like you and throw your gifts back at you or, you know, whatever. You get in a fight at the Christmas table because you talked politics and you shouldn't. Whatever it is, you don't have to be envious of anyone because your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. You see, because this is how, as the passage progresses, we glorify and we declare because we're saying nothing in the world, no circumstance, takes away what Christ did for me. That's when the Father's glorified because we actively choose him over circumstances, people, and materials. Jesus is greater. When we're envious of non-Christians, we're saying they have something better than Jesus and we need it because Jesus isn't sufficient. But he's totally sufficient if we look at the cosmic gap of wrath of God, heaven. We couldn't fill in the gap. You see how these interplay together, okay? This is why it's so important when you're celebrating Jesus, if you really frame it properly, you're like, I love Christmas. It reminds me that everything else fails in comparison to Jesus. It's that beautiful, wonderful reminder that we get to have. Okay, next one. So I want you to walk through this. So you have salvation, he has brings peace, but salvation also what saves us from our sins. Again, I think this gets glossed over. Uh, when I was in college, I did a lot of backroom counseling where we would, at the end of the service, people would go back. I think they were confused because it was supposed to be like people that wanted to come to faith, but it was just Christians who felt guilty. And it was always the same story. They didn't understand they were forgiven. They really didn't. They didn't, they didn't think that God could forgive someone like them because they fill in the blank. And, and it was always this constant reminder, like, no, 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 you're saved by grace. It's a gift. 
Because you sinned, it doesn't erase the gift. It was a free gift. Christ died for your sin in your place from the wrath of God by his choice. You didn't woo him. You didn't convince him. Because if you convinced him, you can unconvince him. And that's the fear. Okay? So if you're a Christian and you, and so you, got, you got this terrible past, I get the guilt on some sense because you're like, I can't believe that's a part of me. But on the other sense, you should be really excited. It's paid for. It's paid for. How do paid for people act? Hopefully grateful, right? Grateful. Absolutely grateful. He didn't come for that sin to haunt you and torture you. It came that you might be excited that it's paid for. Okay, so you're saved from sin but uh, that you've done in the past, but I want you to think through, hopefully it's saving you from sin in the future. This is what I mean. We don't need to put our hand on the stove to know it hurts anymore, do we? We've grown past that, right? And there's certain things you can realize, that's painful and I shouldn't do it. Jesus comes and lives and says, see, the better way is to follow the Father. You don't need to go find this out for yourself. I'm going to show you. Satan's going to offer me the world. I'm going to say Jesus is better. I'm going to say my Father is better. Sorry. They're going to offer me money. They're going to offer me power. They're going to offer me fame. They're going to try to kill me. They're going to torture me. They're going to crucify me. And I'm going to show you Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So what does Jesus essentially do? You don't need to touch the stove. You don't need to touch the stove. I've taken the consequence. You need to now trust me that it's better to follow God. It's better to do this. Isn't it great that we don't have to go try all these things and wonder? Jesus has everything thrown at him and he shows you, nope, it's always better to do the will of the Father. Even if it has pain, even if it's unpopular, there's nothing better than doing the will of the Father. Okay, so now as you look through that, it says, verse 12, that this is going to take some work. We've been saved from our sins, but we've also been saved so that we would not keep on sinning. So this is what you have to realize. It's not God withholding fun from us. It's God looking down and saying, sin is painful. Sin hurts you. Sin hurts the people around you. And the best thing for you to do is to be godly and be like Jesus. But that's going to be hard because even though you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit and you're a new creation and you've been purchased, there's still sin in you. So therefore, you're going to have to, verse 12, train and renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and be self-controlled and upright and godly in the present age. So it's saying, look, this is going to be hard. You're going to have to work at it. You're not earning your salvation. You're trying to learn how to think differently, how to act differently, and how to react differently. God says he's given you Christ to look at. He's given you the Bible. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you a church with elders who help lead and direct and shepherd and guide. He's given all of these tools to not act like somebody who's not saved. To not act like a non-Christian who's pretending to be a Christian. It takes work and it takes effort. So you come and you celebrate the birth of Christ and saying now there's supposed to be this change in the way we act and we behave. 
and it's going to take some work. We're going to have to train at it. So if you have, you know, really bad language, you're not going to say a prayer and just not want to have bad language. So how are you going to have accountability? How are you going to restructure your words? Are you going to write down different words that you can think of and say in its place? I've heard people have, you know, swearing jars, and then they go in debt, right? But whatever it is, yeah, you, you, you are training yourself. You have a temper, and so you get mad. What are you going to try and train yourself to do differently? You know, a lot of this is prayer and reading your Bible, but the other part of this is actively trying to do something different. Instead of putting your rage there, go over here, you know, scream in your pillow. I don't know, but you're working it out. You're saying, I don't want to continue like this. I've been saved. How are you training your eyes if your eyes wander? If you have bad company that corrupts good morals, are you changing your friends? If you have insecurities and you're just self-soothing, whether it's food or alcohol or it's, you know, prescription or whatever that is, stop soothing through things that aren't Jesus. Food can be a very good thing. Prescription medicine can be a very good thing. But if it takes the place of Jesus, we're in trouble. And so saying you're training yourself. The non-Christian runs to the world when they're in pain. The Christian runs to Christ. It understands that they are saved, they are loved, they are redeemed, they are purchased, they are adopted. All of these things are theirs. And so they act and react differently in the midst of pain, hurt, in the midst of being maybe, you know, just oppressed or they've been hurt really bad or something just really hard happens, the Christian reacts differently because they're saved. Christ has paid for them. And it says we're to do this in, verse 12, the present age. We are not to, Proverbs 26, 11, it says, like a dog that returns to his vomit, so is a fool who repeats his folly. See, the Christian... We're always going to have things that hurt, and we're going to try to fill that hurt with something. And the reason the fool goes back to the vomit isn't because he thinks vomit is tasty. It's because he's hungry. And he's like, well, I'll just eat this. And it's realizing I don't have to eat vomit. I have Christ. I don't need sin to soothe me and save me. It can't. It just digs me deeper in a deeper, deeper ditch. I have Christ. I run to Christ. And either you celebrate or you, the next part, you await the blessed hope. You look forward. You can look backward to the work he's done, you're saved, or you can look forward to heaven, the place you'll be. Either way, backward or forward, it allows you to walk in life differently than a non-Christian who's just doing anything and everything can to make the pain stop, to make things look good on the outside while they're a mess on the inside. And the Christian can say, I might look like a mess on the outside, but I have Jesus. I sleep at night because my blessed hope is coming because I'm at peace with my Father. Okay? So now you have this framework. You're saved. You're at peace with God. Your sins are forgiven. You don't need to keep on sinning. Then the last piece, verse 13 and 14 waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus, 
Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. Look, here it is. Who are zealous for good works. It's saying people who realize I've been saved. I want to do anything Christ would ask me. I'm going to do anything he wants until he comes back and I'm in heaven because he saved me, redeemed me, so that I wouldn't do lawless things, but rather I would do the works he wants me to do. So when we celebrate, the reaction is obedience. And, and it's a zealous obedience because we love him. We're grateful for what he did. So it's a, it's a glorious response. So how is God glorified in this? I want you to think through this. You have an opportunity to hate someone. They might be coming to your house later. I don't know, okay? Here's a quick, immediate opportunity. Essentially, what you get to say is rather than hate them, I will pray for them because it's, it's better to be with Jesus than to hate that person. You see, what the non-Christian does is says, no, I'm going to hate that person because it makes me feel like somehow I am punishing them and that the pain they've caused me is diminished by my hatred towards them. The Christian says, no, I'd rather trust that he says vengeance is mine and God could make their life way harder than I ever could. That should bring you comfort. Okay, God doesn't miss things. He will take care of it. So to, to be zealous to good works is say, I'd rather pray for my enemy. I'd rather show them Christ. I'd rather them have a heart change. It's what they need. And know Jesus, maybe. Come to Christ. That's the true fix. So when you model that, that's zealous for what God's done. It's a response. You know, rather than self-medicating, saying I don't have to self-medicate to soothe myself. I can have, hang out with my family. I can sing. I can go to church. I can, you know, whatever that is. I don't have to do that. I'd rather be with Jesus and have him comfort me in my sorrow. I mean, think of gossip. I don't need to put other people down so I can feel better about myself. I have Christ. I could pray for that person rather than putting them down. I mean, here, here's maybe even the larger narrative framework of that, if you really think about it. If you're at peace with God, you're, you're, you're no longer fighting with your creator. That's the only way then you can be at peace with people. Because if you're angry at God, you go to war with people to try and solve the problem. I gotta be better than him, better than them, better than them, better than them. I always have to be better than somebody so I'm not nobody. And once you've become whole with Christ, he's your payment for sin, you don't need to view people as competition anymore. You can let that guy at your Christmas table have the most money and the best vacations and the kids with the best grades and the best photos and whatever that goes on at your table, let them have it all. You don't need to be better. You have Christ. And you can be zealous for that because you see what you're saved from. You're not faking it. You're not being holier than thou. You're a grateful sinner that's now a child of God. And you're extremely grateful and zealous for that position in Christ. Do you see the difference? You see the difference? 
If you get what being saved means, it comes off very fake. And you're just trying to use your Christianity to be better and holier than somebody else. So that you can go brag to grandma that you're the favorite cousin. You know, whatever it is. Instead of truly, truly, truly just being at peace. I don't need to put you down. I don't need to be better than you. I have Jesus. So it's walking through this passage. Now he comes to it. Declare these things. Exhort these things. I've been saved. He's coming back. I want nothing more than to love and follow Jesus. I'm so grateful he came. I can't wait till he comes back. I don't need to do what the world does to be happy. I don't need to do what the world does for vengeance. I don't need to do what the world does to to find significance. I have Christ. I will declare these things. I will exhort these things. And the last one's a little harder. I will rebuke these things. When people try to tell you something, there's better than Jesus. The Christian should be the first one to say, oh, no, 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 there's not. You don't have to be a jerk about it. You can politely say, no, Jesus is better than whatever you have that you think makes you happy. You're going to be lonely in the morning or the next day or the next day, and that guilt will still be there, and that pain will still be there. And your wife and your kids might not know who you are, but God knows who you are, and you know who you are. It's kind of painful conversation, isn't it? But you can have Christ. You can be forgiven. You can live in light of how God created you to live. Those things can be yours. And then you'll celebrate Jesus like I do. I'm saying this is so amazing. You have to celebrate and you have to declare and you have to share because there's nothing better than having Jesus. See, that's what Christmas should remind us. Everything we have, everything we need, we have in Christ. Okay, some questions for us to think through. Uh, do you train to renounce ungodliness? Here's the thing. You don't grow in your faith on accident. Okay? And if, you, if you're frustrated with yourself, you know, you're going to start a new Bible reading plan and you're like, I'm only going to make it to Deuteronomy because Leviticus is hard, right? Like, that's okay. Keep going. Skip Leviticus, okay? You don't have to follow the list, you engineers. Go do another book, right? Do it with somebody. Get an audio Bible. You know, Pastor Andy, he's, he's dedicated to this. You know he'll read his Bible standing up so he doesn't fall asleep? I had to borrow that trick a couple of times, Right? Whatever, whatever it takes, just figure it out. If it's five minutes, 10 minutes, keep going because you need to feed your mind with the word of God so that when you're in these moments and have opportunities to act ungodly or unsaved or ungrateful for Jesus, you have something reminding you and telling you contrary to what your emotions are trying to feed you. This, you know, pray, pray small and then pray big. Work your way up to it. Get an accountability partner. Find something that motivates you, but take it very serious. Take it very serious. That's why it says train yourself, right? You don't just say, I want to lose weight, and then you wake up in the morning, and you're like, I lost 30 pounds. It's a grind, and it's a work, but you're so excited when you get there. Same with your faith. You're going to have, always have a temptation to not trust Jesus to be the solution to your insecurities and fears and anxieties. It takes work to constantly say no I trust the Lord. No, Jesus is better. No, 
I'm, ex- I'm grateful for I have, having Christ, even though I have these. Yeah, so how are you training yourself in that? How are you renouncing it? Where do you lack self-control? You know, this is huge for a Christian. They essentially say, I, I don't need to run crazy. I don't need to forget about my life. I don't need to act like my problems don't exist. I don't need to self-soothe. I, Jesus is what soothes me. And some people, you know, they binge watch. They run from their problems. Some people go online and they just yell at everybody. Right? I mean, there's, it's, there's different extremes how people try to self-soothe, either through avoidance or confrontation, consumption, addiction. And it's saying, how am I going to mindfully go to Christ? It's not that watching a Netflix series is bad, but if it's what gets you through your marriage or your job or your parenting, that's a problem. That's a problem. Because you're putting that in the place of where Christ should be bringing reconciliation in that wound. He should be meeting that need. So how are you exhibiting self-control? These are the things the texts are telling us. Hey, you need to do these things so that you can be zealous and you can exhort Christ is better. Because I'm working on this and I'm choosing Christ and I'm telling you there's nothing better than choosing Jesus. That's why you're exhorting. Uh, three, do you warn and exhort people about Jesus? So this is hard. If you don't really celebrate Jesus, you're going to have a hard time telling anyone else to do it. This is why the text is like, look, you're saved. He's coming back. Train yourself. And in the process of training, if you ever seen someone who's really like in good shape, they'll tell you, like, it's awesome. I've never felt better. Like, you should do it. Same concept. Trusting Jesus, it's the greatest thing. You should really try it. You're able to exhort it because you're practicing it and you're not lying to them. You're not pretending, you're not being fake. You're like, no, I've never been more at peace. I've never been more sound. I've never been more encouraging. I've never been more clear in my mind than when I gave more and more of my heart and mind to Christ. Whenever I prayed more and I trusted him more. You know, I've never had anyone come to me and like, this Bible reading has been the worst thing of my life. Just haven't. But you're not going to get there overnight. Slowly work your way there, okay? Four, how are you currently choosing Jesus over the world? Those are your victories. Those are your victories. Where in your life do you see how the world reacts? You're like, well, man, I don't react like that. Quick ones, you got, you know, we got all this political stuff going on. As a Christian, hopefully you're the one being like, yeah, that guy's crazy, but I'm not freaked out. God's on the throne. Maybe more people will come to Jesus because this guy's going to freak them out. Maybe it could happen, right? You know the church grows in persecution? The biggest growth periods in Christian history are through persecution because it actually forces people to say if they really believe or don't. And it forces people to really search for answers in life. The Christian has the opportunity to be at peace. You don't have to like what's going on, but you also don't need to freak out and get angry at every person you see because you don't like what's happening in the world. God's on the throne. Christ died. Heaven's your home. You're okay. You're okay. Doesn't mean you have to like it, but you're okay. It's choosing Jesus, whether it's not enacting revenge, it's not cursing someone out, it's not gossiping, it's not, you know, whatever it is, I'm choosing Jesus. 
See, the, if you're currently doing it, look at the benefit and then take that benefit and allow it to remind you, well, that's why I shouldn't do this either. And that's why I shouldn't do this because when I chose Christ here, it was better. See, it fuels you for the next step. Five, how does celebrating the birth of Jesus set the foundation for you to live in godliness? When you look at the gap, the wrath of God, heaven, and you celebrate it, it just sets the tone to say, okay, because of that, I need to train to be like Jesus. It's the appropriate response. He did all of this for me. I want to be just like him. I'm so grateful for him. The celebration is the foundation for our growth to exhorting and sharing that he truly is the greatest gift the world could ever receive. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you and we love you. And we're so grateful that you sent your son to come and live and dwell among us. To have siblings and to have parents, to have enemies, to have friends, to be hated, to be rejected. He's able to sympathize with us in our weakness because he lived in the very conditions that we live. He understands our need. He understands our pain. He understands our hurt. We're grateful that he showed us what it means to choose you over anything and everything the world has to offer. That even enduring the wrath of God was greater than anything the world could offer. It's our great privilege that you would do that for us. We are so grateful that you would send your son to take our place and pay our price and that you would adopt us into your family, clean us of our sin, make us your family. It's my prayer we would celebrate that gift, that act, that gesture. Celebrate it in a way that is worthy of what you did and reminds us of why we sing. It reminds us why we wake up and it reminds us you are glorious, worthy of praise. Be with us as we worship. May we celebrate you greatly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.